Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. We are here at this passage at 2 Peter 1.5, and um, this has been a really enjoyable study for me because I haven't studied it this way before. I've looked, uh, I've asked God as we went, th- went through each of these edition things to show me something I haven't seen about it before, and he's been just so extremely faithful to do that. So I want to start by reading Second Peter again, just to get us jogged into this is what we've been looking at. We've actually been on this for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I, I hope it's been meaningful for you. It's been very meaningful to me. Um, in, in saying that, meaning, meaning is... Uh, is such a thing because we, here's, a, here's another word that on, mostly only Christians use, and that's that word revelation. When revelation comes to your heart and your faith can touch it, then everything opens up to you. You start seeing a multitude of things. It's just a, amazing. So I hope this brings revelation to your heart. 2 Peter 1.5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, valor, to valor, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think of all the things that could be uh, the most painful thing at the end of life is that if the knowledge that you have of God hasn't been fruitful and that it's just dry religion. I, I don't want to go out with dry religion. I want to go out singing those songs that we sang this morning, you know. Our God reigns. I want to go out that way. And um, I think for all the things for me as I've lived and walked in faith, and some of you have done that even longer than I have, but it's that I've been able to gain a heart of wisdom and grow, and it's been fruitful. And got to do incredible things. But the fruit of it wasn't getting to do incredible things because some of the incredible things were the least. Uh, you know, to, volunteering at a small church in Phoenix to lead the youth because the guy that was doing it left. And then having the youth show up and it was three to five kids with their arms crossed with me trying to lead them in worship who isn't a very good singer anyway. And... Uh, and shutting my eyes and lifting my hands and then kind of peeking a little bit, you know, and the two boys are still, you know, uh, there's Mark Lindsay, Brenda will like that, that I mentioned him. Maybe he'll listen to this teaching or something with his arms crossed before me. Well, he's lived his whole life in God now. They still, they still refer, they have a group on line of the faith family youth group and they still connect with each other. I go, three, three to five kids who didn't want to do it, but they did. 
They really did. They wanted to live in God and love God, and they do all the days of their lives. It's amazing to be a part of that. It was neither barren nor unfruitful. With looking at this, what we're going to talk about today is this word perseverance. Some translations say patience. It's the same word, patience and perseverance throughout the New Testament. And uh, so I thought it'd be good if we put down like the English definitions of what those words mean and then put them together with what it's really trying to say from that original Greek word that we translate perseverance. Perseverance is a continued effort. Here it goes. Actually put it up there for you. It's a continued effort to do or achieve something despite, despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. The action or condition or an instance of, it's a strange word, steadfastness. Hang on to that word. Let's look at the next one. So if you look at the synonym and if it gets translated patience, patience is bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Complain. <laughs> a lot of the time, not always. Manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. Not hasty or impetuous. Steadfast. Oh, there's that word again. Steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. So here's a, studying the, that word steadfast because that's the word that actually is the centerpiece to the, to the Greek that was used by Peter to explain what he was saying to add into our lives, is this word steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is an older word. It's an old word. It's actually not used that much anymore. Uh, steadfast means to be firmly fixed in place. And this is why when you say patient, we all go, oh, I wish I was more patient. But it really means being steadfast, firmly fixed in place, immovable, not subject to change. And it doesn't mean the change of like growing. It means not subject to going back on something. Firm in belief, determination, or adherence. Loyal. This is the meaning of the word that Peter's saying Add to your self-control steadfastness. Add to your sense of self-control the ability to become immovable. Um, should you be narrow-minded as a Christian? Yes, you should. Now, not in the world's terms, but in God's terms, I am very narrow-minded. I go the way of the Lord. And that becomes a steadfast place in my life that I evaluate all of life and all that it's dealings, all that it's sending my way, causing me to be steadfast or patient or to have endurance, to, to make it a sense of I'm, I'm going to persevere through this. Where it takes us is, this is one of my... Well, I don't know. I have a whole bunch of... All of Romans is my favorite scripture. So, But you go back to Romans and you get a deeper understanding of this. 
We've looked at Romans 5 many times over the past 10 years. We'll do it again this morning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Same word, steadfastness. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Every trouble we go to, God's bottom line is he is going to pour out his love over you. Every trouble that we have in life, I'm telling you, even the ones we create, you can create your own problems. Have you ever done that? I have. I should have never done. Why did I walk into? Even the ones that we do and that we knew we shouldn't have done, God says when we start going through the tribulation of it, God goes, I'm, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to pour my love out into you. Whoa. Only God can do that. Only God can say every time, and here's what he's looking for, every time you come back, have you, have you blown it a bunch of times? How many times have you blown it? How many times did you blow it this past week? Raise your hands. 12. I got 12 over here. 42 over there. Every time you blow God goes, oh, but I'm going to use this for your good. I'm going to take this mess and this thing that is testing your patience, even you over you, and I'm going to pour my love out so that you can grow from it. So that you can get a, a steadfast character inside of you. That you're immovable, unshakable. Each trial that we go through helps us with the next one. When God is at work and, and does this in our lives, it's, a, it's an addition to us that God again ends up multiplying to us. Trials in the believer's life, Paul said, are designed by God to produce this in us, this steadfastness. It's to give us an assurance. Of all people, Christians should be more sure of what they believe in than anybody else. Do you, do you ever watch the news channel? Well, I watch Fox News. So when Jesse Waters does interviews on the streets and asks people stuff... And they don't know anything. I, I'm amazed, this me being a little bit judgmental, I'm amazed at how stupid people can be. You don't know who the first president of the United States is? Come on, folks. Like, you don't know that? You didn't go to school? You don't remember that? It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing to have. I know whom I have believed in 
And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I have an assurance in my life and that becomes a steadfastness that when life bangs against it, I hang on to. God will be with me in the best of times and in the worst of times. God will be with me at all times. When I am in the middle of a storm, I do not know the end of it, but I do know what I believe and I know where I can put my trust. Every storm that happens, and there's a lot, I'm like everybody else, I don't want storms. I don't want tribulation. I don't want trials. I don't want to go, God, send stuff my way so I learn patience. No, 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 no. I don't pray that. I pray, God, strengthen me for everything that comes this way. You do. You pray that one. You don't, don't ever pray for trials. Please don't do that. that. Again, Jesse Waters, that's stupid. You know, don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not an act of faith. That's an act of trying to stumble through something that you probably ought to just sit for a little while and be patient. There's a, a couple of passages of Scripture where the word patience and perseverance is actually translated into steadfastness. One's found here in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Every time I stand in the name of God, it has value added. Remember, we're talking about adding to our faith. It has value added to me. It works something in me that I may not see immediately, but it's working glory into my life, Paul said. In Colossians 1, he writes this, he says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's a, there's 80 sermons there. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now, this is another one of those, but, we could use the word and say yet now you could go, but he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above approach, reproach in his sight. I am, I, I, I'm above reproach. Think through what that means for your life. You, right now, are above reproach. That means no accusation that any person can bring or that any devil, I mean, we start doing Romans 8 here. No power, no principalities, not life, not death. Nothing can take away. You have no, you, there's no reproach over your life. That's stunningly good news because I've made mistakes. And God in his work of reconciling removes that from me. He says, but there's a little caveat here. It's not a trick 
But he says this, he wants to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight if indeed you continue in faith. That's the second Peter passage. Grounded and what? Steadfast. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. <sighs> so then, being steadfast means this. It's not something I have to do. It's something I believe I am. Did you get that? It's not something I have to do. This is not a work that I have to do. This is something that I believe is true about God and therefore is true about me. And he says, when you hang on to that aspect of it, God works that and he multiplies grace and peace to you. The grace, Hebrews 5 says, tells in which we stand. Stand and steadfast are related. I get more grace to make the stand more sure because I'm steadfast in knowing who I belong to. It's a wonderful process. Um, Hebrews says it this way. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. So here's the caution. Tribulation, from the enemy's point of view, he wants to get you to harden your heart. From God's point of view, he wants you to remain true to what you first believed. The enemy tries to use a trial to separate you from God. God uses a trial to pour his love out on you. Do you see the difference? So he's saying, don't, whatever you do, this is how you remain steadfast. I believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and the Holy Spirit who was given to me. When I hang on to that through every trial, my heart becomes steadfast. Now, many of you kids probably haven't, kids meaning anybody under the age of 30 <laughs> or 40 in my, my case. You probably, but, but many, many of you have because a lot of you were involved with homeschooling and stuff. Have you ever read the story of the steadfast tin soldier? How many? How many people have read? Okay. Well, the story of the steadfast tin soldier is a story written by Hans Christian Andersen a couple hundred years ago. And it's about these toys that were made. And it's a story about toys like we would do toy soldier today. Or, uh, or what's that? Toy Story, I'm sorry, a story today. It's one, this is one of the oldest Toy Stories, Toy Stories. But it had great meaning in life. And so it's about uh, someone who took a tin spoon and melted it down and made a group of soldiers, 25 of them to be exact. You can tell I've recently read the story because I would never have retained all this. 
but it made me want to go when I heard the word steadfast. And 24 of them that were whole and perfect, and then it got down to the end of the last pouring of the form and mold. And there was only enough in this tin soldier's life in which he was missing a leg. And so he was a steadfast tin soldier. He looked like just like all the other tin soldiers and they were painted up, the other 24, but he only had one leg. But in the story, he stood with great steadfastness over everything. And in his world, he could only see because he would get put away in the box and you could only see at night in the time of toys coming to life. He could see a little paper ballerina in front of a little paper castle and she was dancing. And she was twirling and she had one leg lifted up. So of course the steadfast tin soldier went, somebody I can relate to. (laughs) Now I'm, you know, Hans didn't put it that way, trust me. But he talked about he fell in love with this little paper ballerina and then Somehow as the toys were getting put up, uh, he got left out of the box, got knocked off the window. He goes through a lot of trial, one trial after another. And all he keeps thinking about was he had committed his life to guard the little paper ballerina who he thought only had one leg. And he gets picked up and he ends up uh, more or less giving his life at the end and he gets melted down. And what ends up from the melting is there is one little small pure tin heart that is left. And the paper doll gets blown into the fire. A great story to tell kids, right? (laughs) And gives her life. But he didn't move. He remained, even when there was nothing left but his little pure tin heart, he remained steadfast in his love for her and guarded the knowledge that he knew. And that's basically the fable or the story of remaining tense. But here's the thing. He didn't move, didn't change in what he knew about himself or the love that he had for the little paper ballerina. And at the end of his trial by fire, he remained a true heart. That's the moral of the story. When we add this kind of steadfastness of what we believe and whom we believe in, we are unmovable. Even if it's costly, that's the idea of Christian faith. It may cost me, but it doesn't move me away from whom I believe in and what I believe. Hebrews 6 says it this way. He says that this kind of faith becomes an anchor of the soul. And this addition in our lives becomes an assurance to the doubts that the trials and sufferings try to bring us in the time of trial. Not afterwards, in. I become steadfast, not recognizable after, because my leg and my entire being can get traded for a heart. But I become recognizable in this as I stay true to who God called me to be. And I keep believing. It's interesting because this psalm so speaks of this. This is a psalm of David when he's getting chased by Saul. He's in, he's in the word. And he's just a kid, you guys. He's, he's, 
you know, he's either in his late teens or early 20s when this is going on. And this is what he penned. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, just like we did this morning. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy, he's in a cave. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. That is a steadfast man. That was a young man who knew how to do that. How? How do we, you know, for us today, you have to ask the question, how do I add this steadfastness in my life? I, if I got each one of you off the side and you weren't too scared to answer this in front of everybody, and I said to you, how do I add this in my life? We would get a myriad of different answers. So I'm going to give you mine. For me, because I believe this, and this is an audacious statement, I'm a steadfast man. I have served and loved the Lord with gladness since he saved me. I have not, I've made tons of mistakes, but I have never known a day of what we used to call backsliding, where I question God's existence or his salvation or his goodness in my life. And it's grown in my life. It's getting multiplied over and over again. And for me, the key was something, even, even as I, how I kept growing in it, is um, 11 years ago, as God, 12 years ago now, as God opened up the understanding of grace to me, a fresh revelation of what the grace of God was in my life. I found and wrote down my theological themes for my life. I went, this, this is, a, I had to make it simple so I could understand it. I made it had to be doable so I could say it in a moment of time to a man named Bill in a, in a tractor supply shop on a Friday afternoon. It had to be simple, it had to be harnessed, and I had to do it. You do it the way you need to do it. I found it this way. Um, I found five themes, and they became a creed for me. Um, and, and of my understanding of what God's salvation through Jesus Christ meant to me. Now, remember, this is how I added steadfastness. God may show you something different, but I want you to know this is what my answer was. It became the foundation stones in, of which I live today, of what I teach and how I know that I am a steadfast tin soldier. Those were the five themes. They came out of a period of time of reading Romans chapters 5 through 8 to myself uh, every week for nearly four years. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, you can. 
it wasn't hard. I just kept, uh, I, I heard Andrew Farley at a conference as I was trying to find other grace people. And I went to a conference and he, he said during the conference, he said, look, if you read something in the Bible that you don't understand, read it real slow. He said, if you're still not understanding, read it a lot. And if you're still not understanding it at that, he said, read it out loud so you're hearing yourself say it. And he said, I'm telling you, God will start working that into your life. I started doing it, and these five themes came out. And if you'll notice something, almost, there, I don't think there's been any, but there might be one or two Sundays in which what I teach doesn't run through one of these themes. They became the creed of what I believe. Now, you can call that a statement of faith if you want, but it's really not a statement of faith. That's real long and everything. But it was these five things. So this is how you can add steadfastness in, in your life. Find your five. You find your five. And write them down. Read them to yourself. And go, this is what I believe. This is what I know to be true of God. This was shown in my life. Not, in some, not even Lloyd. Not in some teacher's life. This is what God has shown me. And start writing them down. It's not age restrictive. Uh, young people that are here this morning, children that are here this morning, you can do this already. And start having it be this steadfastness in your life. For me, it was found in this, the unconditional love of God. And by this, I mean the unhindered love of God. I believe that the new covenant canon of scripture teaches us that God loves us in every circumstance of life. Now, I found scriptures that support all this. Are there ones that waver of it? Not for me. They all run through this. John 3.16 teaches us that God so loved the world that he gave us his son, that who would ever believe on him would receive eternal life. I believe that. In that is the unconditional love that God Huh. would love the world in this manner that he would give us the most precious thing he had, and that was his son. Justification by faith. We just read it. It's Romans 5. It's right there. Romans 5.1. I've been justified by faith alone. I can't add anything to it. Uh, can't take away from it. I believe that Christ died to, to actually embrace our sin and our failure and our weakness and that we might, through him, receive eternal forgiveness and acceptance. And when I believe that, it's done. We believe that it's by his grace alone that we are saved by him and made right by him. That's what I believe. Nobody can shake me all that. I am that one-legged. I might have a lot of limitations in my life, but on this I stand. The, other, the next one was my co-union with Christ. I know in the spirit-filled church and all that, we look at lots of ways in which the Holy Spirit living in us works and everything. Um, I'm sure there's variances on, on the theme here, and I'm not here to take away or add to any of those, but I tell you what, uh, when I became born again, the Holy Spirit came into my life and made residence. I am born again because my spirit is joined to his spirit and his spirit is joined to my spirit. And Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians 6. 
He who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Amazing. God lives in me. Assurance of salvation is the fourth one. I went, I'd heard so many teachings through the years that told me how I could lose my salvation, even when they weren't about how to lose my salvation. And all that did was produce insecurity in me. I believe my eternal life is secure in what God has done. And as I searched it out, if there was something, a sin, that I could do other than unbelief, if there was a sin that I could do that could take me away from God's love, that made that sin more powerful than God. And that's impossible. I just went... It's like watching that infinity program. I was going, I don't think you know what that word means. Because that means Jesus to me. There's nothing can take it away. Because there's nothing more powerful than God. If you read Romans 8, he says, I am persuaded that neither life nor death. He goes through all this list of things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so with that, I have an assurance that even if I make... And it is indeed, we joke about this all the time, but if it indeed is my worst day and I do something reprehensible, it will not steal my salvation because he already died for it. Does that give me permission to do it? That's absolute heresy. It does not give me permission to do it. It gives me permission not to do it and a strength not to do it. And so it becomes an assurance, I know the one I believe in. And that he's uh, got my eternity secure. And therefore, all of this temporal life lives under the banner of the security of my faith. All of this, even the trials, they all live under that same banner. You see why it's so important to find your five? And the last one is abundance of life. I believe what Jesus said. I have come that they might have life and that abundantly. To have abundance of life means that I have authority to say yes and no. I have authority to say right and wrong. Uh, And I believe that God has come that in all things I can see the life of Christ at work. He's come to give me life. I don't like bad situations But he is not the progenitor of bad situations. He's the resolver of them. He's the reconciler. The reward of you finding your five is steadfastness. And when you add it into all those other things we were talking about, not in an arrogant way at all, but I I just have to say with Paul as he wrote to his son Timothy, for this reason I suffer all these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. The day means the day of judgment, the day I stand before him. I am not fearful for the day of judgment. Why? Because I was already judged. In Christ, I was already judged. It's when I go there, this is what I believe. And this is what I'm steadfast about. What I'm looking forward to is his arms being thrown around this one legged soldier. 
him looking me in the eyes and saying, well done, Lloyd. You stayed in me. You believed right to the end. Well done. That's an anchor to the soul. That's immovable. No politician can steal that from me. No world, one world changer can steal that from me. No bigot can steal that from me. No evil person, no wicked person, no angel, nor power, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come. It's, it's, nobody gets to take that from me. And I won't be looked at with an arched eyebrow and a question mark. I will be looked at with loving eyes that go, well done, son. Well done. That's, that's what we look forward to. That's what actually gives meaning to here. It's not the stuff we have. It's the stuff that's coming. Because of what we did or didn't have here and how we managed it. So, stand on your one leg. Do you, are you not perfect? Probably not. Do you lack some gift or talent? Yeah, I would imagine. Every good leader I've seen had both towering strengths and glaring limitations. They usually couldn't see the glaring limitations very well and then hurt people with their towering strengths. <sighs> Steadfast. Ten soldiers. Right up until the end. God will honor you for it. He will bless you for it. And he said, you'll actually, remember what Second Peter says, you will not, never ever be unfruitful. Your whole life's going to be fruitful. Count me in. I hope you're counted in. So let me pray for you. Lord, help us to not see ourselves as tin spoons, but in the fire of your love, what you've made us to be, to be steadfast tin soldiers, to not move, to not yield, to not be twisted around by every wind of doctrine that comes our way or every new idea, but to be steadfast. Help us find our five. Give each one in this room their five themes for life. Lord, if, if these fives fit them, then let them be these five. But let them find this place where they can stand and be unmovable, unshakable. That they would be a steadfast tin soldier. And that at the end, their heart, their heart would be true and pure and a delight to you. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.